Morning, church. Good morning. My name is Kendrick. I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church. It's good to see you. Sir, it's been a long time since somebody called me sir. Uh, hey, I appreciate it, but hey, we're going to continue to study uh, the gospel of John this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John 15. This has been, oh man, this has just been an awesome time of study for me these last couple weeks, getting to wrestle and, and walk through uh, this passage. Currently, we're finding ourselves right in the middle of one of Jesus, or of Jesus' longest period of teaching in all the Gospels, and we know this as the farewell discourse. Today, we're going to take a sharp turn in the teachings of Jesus as we continue to look at this discourse. Uh, this morning, we're going to begin in chapter 15. And I'm going to say, unfortunately, this passage is, is often, the meaning is, is missed because of the beautiful imagery, right? We talk about the vines, we talk about Jesus' repeated words of abide in me or remain in me, and we often say, oh, we just got to abide in Jesus. And sometimes we just overlook the exact meaning of this passage and what it means. We think like we get this picture that we can just put on like some Snuggie and just go curl up in Jesus' arms and just let life flow over us. But there's actually some, there's some commands in this passage we're going to look at today. And sometimes though we just get caught up in the, the beauty of the words and the simplicity and we overmiss the, the story. We overmiss the commands. For example, I have watched Greece the musical, the play, the movie, whatever you want to call it. I've watched it many, many times. I love the music. I love the cheesy, the acting, right? We were trying to decide on a, a movie to watch as a family, and I remember I looked over at Melissa. I'm like, let's watch Grease. And she just gave me this dirty look. Like, that's not an appropriate show for our kids. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, that is a, a great movie. It's a, it's a love story. You know, there's, there's the one that I want. <laughs> right? There's Go Grease Lightning. Like, come on. These are, are classics. But she said, no, we can't do that. So I was going to prove my wife wrong. Don't ever try to do that. And I went and I looked up the ratings. So if you go to this next slide, I don't even know what those mean. Right? They were, those were all the, the warnings for Grease. In text, it said it had vulgar sexual references, implied fornication, male nudity, women partial nudity. The lesson is to be untrue to oneself and changing your whole character to impress another. What? <laughs> and then I looked at, at the end of it, and I'm going to give at the end, it says, this is a good family movie for teenagers. Okay, well, I missed the meaning of the movie because I love the music, and I just like singing the music, I guess, right? But in, in the same way, sometimes the, the beauty and even the simplicity of Jesus' words distract us from the message if we're not careful. So today, we're going to really dive into this text, right, by, by detaching this passage from its larger context, by taking something out of context, we easily miss the point of Jesus' teaching here. Right? It's in the greater context of Jesus' teaching that we need to look at this. We know that in this teaching, Jesus is preparing, right? He's teaching his disciples about their post-resurrection mission. That's what he is doing. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to die. I'm handing this over to you. You guys, 
you're in charge, right? Here's what you're going to do. Here's your mission. And as we looked at the last couple weeks, he, he first starts by addressing the anxiety, the fear, the troubled hearts that the disciples has, and he tries to put them at ease. And then today what we're going to look at is Jesus looks at the principles. Like these are the principles. These are the, the guiding factors for the mission that I'm giving to you, how you're going to succeed in that mission. And then next week, and, and actually the week after that, we're going to look, Jesus is going to warn them about the cost of this mission, about what this mission is going to cost you. And then he ends it with the resources that they will have available to accomplish this mission. But today we're going to look at just the, the principles that Jesus lays out, these Principles that are required not only for the disciples that he is talking to for the, the post-resurrection mission, but if you're a disciple of Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus, guess what? We're in the post-resurrection period right now. Right? These are the principles for you, and these are the principles for your God-given mission. And this passage just isn't this beautiful metaphor about vines and fruit, but it lays out principles for disciples on mission. In this passage, Jesus does this as only Jesus could do, right? He intertwines this metaphor. He intertwines truth and commands into this beautiful word picture. And to untwist them would kind of lessen the effect of this beautiful uh, passage, this beautiful teaching. So what I'm going to like to do is I'm going to unpack this a little bit before we read it. I'm just going to give us a 5,000-foot view, a short explanation of the passage This will help us focus as we read this passage together. And then I'm going to focus on the mission principles that Jesus is challenging his disciples. Right? What is he challenging them? These are the fundamental things as you go on your mission post the resurrection. So as I said before, the the really big picture that we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 15, 1 through 17. This is commonly referred to as the I am the vine or maybe the passage that you hear about abide in me. And then we just stop there because then we just say, oh, abide, abide, vine, me. Oh, it's so beautiful. And the first part of this passage is this metaphor of a vine. And it's where Jesus is the vine. Right? God is the vine dresser. Depending on your, your translation, it might say gardener. And then the disciples, right? if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you're the branch. And Jesus talks about abiding in, right? Abiding in me or remaining in me, remaining in him. And it's about being a relationship. It's about being dependent upon him. And then he talks about how his father is the gardener or the vine dresser. And his gardener, the the father, helps shape us, helps prune us, helps give growth to us. And then the second half of this passage serves as a commentary on the metaphor. It's actually a summary of some of those points that Jesus makes. It doesn't necessarily refer directly to the metaphor, principle for principle, but he emphasizes some of these principles. But they have to go together because the metaphor that we read at the beginning is kind of like color commentary for the second half. Kind of gives laugh, uh, life to it. Because if we take apart the, the vine imagery in the first part, from the description in the second part, it would be really easy to interpret that a relationship with Jesus is just a bunch of box-checking things we need to do, right? That the relationship would be like, oh, love God, check, be obedient, check, pray, check, but it's so much more than that when we look at the metaphor and we see the life of the vine that's in the branch, the life of the branch that's in the vine, and being on mission with Jesus is not about just completing tasks, It's not about just checking off boxes. It's about 
being in a relationship with Jesus. It's about walking with Jesus, about seeking his heart, it's about reading his word, it's about wanting to be with him. And in this passage we see that Jesus lays out this framework that if we're going to be on mission with him, we need to live by these principles. We need to live by these, these core doctrines that he is laying out, these core directions that he is giving to us in this teaching. So let's get started. If you open up your Bibles to chapter 15, you'll remember... If you remember from last week, the last part, it says, rise, let us go from here. And so we know that Jesus is in the upper room. He's having a meal with his disciples. Judas has got up and he's left the room. He's gone to go tell the Jewish authorities that, hey, Jesus is here. He's in town. Let's start to arrest him. And so he has left. Jesus began that teaching around the supper table. He began his farewell discourse and then we see here, he says, rise, let's get up from here. And they get up, and they're, they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. And they're walking through the Kidron Valley. And so as we know that, we know that they're walking, we can see this metaphor of the vine as they're walking through the vineyards. As they're walking through these plants, and Jesus is with his disciple, and he's able to point to these elements on these plants as he's walking. And in chapter 15, verse 1, it starts with Jesus saying this, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away, like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And by this time, my father, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Dear Heavenly Father, we just... We just take this word this morning. Lord, we ask that it would be imprinted in our heart. We ask that it would be on our heart and that we would remain, that we would abide in you, that we would hear Jesus' words and that we would allow them the authority in our life and that we would allow them to shape and direct, control the things in our life and who we are. And Lord, as we read this passage, we just pray that we would be challenged as your disciples, that we would look at these principles and that we would follow them, 
and that in doing this, we would not only abide in you, we would not only love others, but more importantly than everything else, we pray that you would be glorified. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and let's, let's begin looking at this. Let's start with the, the metaphor. It begins with Jesus making the final of his seven I am statements that we find in John. And just like the previous six, this I am statement implies his deity. Right? Jesus is saying, I am God. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And this statement is packed with theological significance and meaning. And people are going to fight all the time about what vine is Jesus talking about. There's tons of references to vines throughout Scripture. But it's important that we know what Jesus is talking about. It's important that we know what the hearers are hearing when he is talking. And if we go back to Psalm 80, it's a lament that was sung by the people of Israel and it was asking God to restore them. It was talking about that they were going to be the vine that was going to come out of Egypt. And they were going to be a blessing to people and they're asking for his light to shine upon them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's asking about uh, telling them this is the, the vine that comes out of Egypt. This is the vine that's going to bless others. Israel was the nation. It was the people group that God was going to use to bless others. But due to their disobedience, God removed himself from their presence. Right? They, they followed their own hearts. And scripture tells us it came to ruin their nation. Let that be a warning when you're wrestling with your heart versus God's will. Right, sometimes we're really quick to say, God doesn't know. Right? He doesn't know this situation. The Bible is old, and so we start fighting and trying to rationalize. Well, a nation did that, and they came to ruin. Psalms 80.16 says that that vine was burned. But in contrast, we see that Jesus is the true vine. Jesus, in his obedience to the Father and his life and his death, he would fulfill the mission that was given to Israel. <clears throat> it was through Jesus that nations would be blessed, that people would be saved, that the, the whole world, not just Jews, but Gentiles would be reached. It's through Jesus that all families, right, all nations on the earth would be blessed and find true life. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is once again making it clear that it is only through him that we find true life. It's the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. We didn't make this up. This is a scriptural teaching. This is where life is found. It is found in Jesus and nowhere else. True life is found in the true vine, and that is in Jesus. He is the one and only where life is found. He is the true vine. The second thing we see, that we see that God the Father is identified as the vine dresser. Vine dressers have two important jobs. Gardeners have two really, really important jobs. I'm actually building a garden in my house right now. I haven't gotten to actually doing something important besides just filling it with dirt and getting it wet. But once plants grow, there's important jobs for that gardener, right? He's going to, to help stimulate growth in the plants by pruning and then he's going to remove the dead or the tangled weeds out of there. He's going to remove them from the vines. Let's start in this passage with the removal of the vines since there's a, a lot of questions about what Scripture teaches here. 
Right? Some people say that these branches, that they were once in Christ, that they were once walking with Christ, that they had repented and that they had given their lives to Christ, but now they are spiritually dead. Right? For some reason, they are not doing that anymore. They're not producing fruit. And so the gardener's going to clip them and remove them. Others argue that there are believers who aren't producing fruit, and God lifts them up off the ground. Some say that word for prune was to, to lift up, so he kind of gives them a boost. The, the problem with that is it says that those branches were all thrown in the fire. Right? That's, they're all thrown, and that's a fire. is representing eternal judgment. Right? Throughout Scripture, it is clear that once you've given your life to Christ, you are saved. You are sealed. Right? John teaches that throughout his book, but New Testament offers throughout the Scripture teach it over and over. Once you are saved, that people are unable to snatch you from the hands of God. Right? Think about it. If you can do something to lose your salvation, you had to do something to gain your salvation. Right? You have to do something to get your salvation back. That's not grace. Right? So we know that those can't be what they mean here. When we look at this, one of the things that makes the most sense is that these branches, right, the branches in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, is really just an illustration that Jesus is using for this metaphor as he's walking. These branches are people who walked with Jesus. They heard his teachings, but they're not genuine believers. Today, I have referred to these type of people as dishonest atheists. Right? And you will know these people. Some of these people come to church. They sit in your chairs. Some of them attend your small groups. These are people who claim to follow Jesus. They, they go to church, but they have never given Jesus a place of authority in their lives. They have never repented. They don't follow him. They still think that their way is better. If Jesus only knew what their way was, he would do it. Right? There's no sense of repentance. There's no sense of knowing the full glory and holiness of God. And so this vine dresser, this gardener, clips and removes them and throws them in the fire. But the vine dresser's other job is pruning, right? Snipping, and you have to know how to do this. This is very skillful, and it's actually the way you care for and you love the plant is by pruning in the right way. This is a loving action by the Father. And it is done so that each branch will become even more fruitful, that they will produce more fruit. But the procedure for the plant may be painful. And if we go through our own lives, we are often pruned. We are shaped by the reading of his word. It talks about scriptures, that double-edged sword that pierces the heart, splits the bone and the marrow. It's something that gets to the heart. And we look at that, and maybe we call that conviction. Right? And we look at the word, and God shapes us through that. Maybe, maybe you prayed for patience. And God answered your prayer. And that was a difficult time where God was shaping you. He shapes us through our circumstances. He often shapes us through our hurts and our pain. And pruning can seem like discipline. As scripture teaches us, right, for the, the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Right, when it comes down to it, is that for the, those who are in Christ, for those that have submitted, for those that are following Jesus, God's commitment to your fruit bearing is greater than your commitment for comfort. Right? It's more important for God that you bear fruit than that you be comfortable. Praise God for that. 
I don't know about you, but I naturally lean towards comfort-based decisions. Right? The, the first response when something comes up and I've got to make a decision is, what's the easiest way to do this? What's the most comfortable way for me to do this? But God is more concerned that we glorify God. God is more concerned that we produce fruit. God prunes and shapes us. He thinks eternally on what is best for us. And he prunes us and shapes us to produce fruit in our lives. And then last, we see the final component in this metaphor is the branch. That's the disciples. It's you and me if we're followers of Jesus. That is who he is speaking to here. And we know that no branch has life in itself. It's utterly dependent for life and fruitfulness on the vine in which it is attached. Right? If you take that branch off that vine, it dies. And it is completely dependent upon that vine. The, the branches are driven by the life-giving connection, right? the flow of nutrition, the relationship, the connection they have to the vine. They are completely dependent on that vine for every aspect of their existence. Right? That vine is the breath that gives life to that branch. It is the only kind of relationship that produces the fruit for that vine. Because right? separated, detached, split, cut, broke, it doesn't produce fruit anymore. And verse 5 tells us that as the branch, our purpose is to bear fruit. That our purpose is to bear much fruit. So the last thing I want to just touch on is, well, what is fruit then? If that's what we're told to do, then what is fruit? And sometimes we're told that fruit is just obedience to God. Sometimes we're told fruit is, is converts, people that we've shared Jesus with, and, and they came to Christ, and we're like, oh, look at my fruit. Look what I got to do. Sometimes we say it's our Christian character. We say that's the fruit is my Christian character. And these explanations are just uh, simple ways to say hard things. They take a complicated thing, and they make it simple for us. They take this complex idea and we try to break it down so we can understand, or maybe so we can check boxes, because we all like checking boxes, especially in our walk with Jesus. If it was that easy, we could just check that box. However, if we look at the following verses in this passage, they suggest that the fruit in this vine metaphor represents everything that is a product of effective prayer in Jesus' name. Things that inc- and this includes obedience to Jesus' commands, experience of Jesus' joy, love for one another, and our witness to the world. These are all things that come together to be fruit. The answer is fruit is, is when God is glorified through our obedience to his will, which is revealed to us through our relationship with his son. Right? So simply put, fruit is when God is glorified. Right? When our actions through our relationship with God glorify God. That is our fruit. We go, what is the chief and highest end of man? To glorify God. That is our purpose. All things exist by the power and are intended for his glory. Fruitfulness is the mark of a true disciple. Right? Fruitfulness being giving glory to God. Fruitlessness, right? Fruitlessness doesn't just lead to fire, it does, but that's not what it, the primary concern with it. Fruitlessness robs God of the glory that he deserves, right? And we try to put the glory on us and not give it to God. So in a, a, a broad term as disciples, 
our mission is to glorify God above all else. That is what we are to do. We are to glorify God above all else. That's what Jesus told us. That's what God has commanded us. We see that in Scripture. We know that is the primary thing. Right? In the military Marines, we'd get a mission statement, and they would say, hey, here's the person above you's mission statement. Hey, here's the commander's intent. Right? So that's what we were to focus on. If, if, if you find a way to meet the commander's intent that's better than these other ways, do it. Right? Focus on that. That is your, what you are to do. The commander's intent, what we are to do is to glorify God. And in this passage, Jesus repeats over and over and over again the principles for discipleships on this mission. See, in the, in the Marines, we only had two leadership principles for this. Just two. Mission accomplishment and troop welfare. Right? Two principles, that's what we do. Mission accomplishment and troop welfare. Sure, there were plenty of things that they call like leadership traits. There was 14 of them in judgment and justice. They, JJ did tie buckle, decisiveness, integrity, dependability. And you can go through all of those things. They also have the, the core values, honor, courage, and commitment. Now, if you take those, those are probably like the fruits of the Spirit when we talk about the traits. When we talk about the core values, we're probably talking about like the great commandment and the great commission. These are these big outline things that help drive us into what we are doing and we see that these values are used to frame what we do maybe even they give some measure right to how we are applying these principles to how well we are doing these overall principles but the principles are the heart of what we are doing why we are doing what we are doing and in this passage Jesus lays out the principles for disciples that are on mission he says there are three things that you do so we're going to close today by looking at these three things we're going to close today by looking at these mission principles for disciples. First principle, you guys are going to know this one. Abide in Jesus. Right? Abide in Jesus. Through this passage, we see what it, may, what it means to remain in Jesus. We commonly think that all we have to do is, I just have to love Jesus. That's what abiding in Jesus means. You just have to love him. Right? But when somebody tells us that they love us, and we don't feel like we're being loved... What do we always say? Love's a verb. Prove it to me. Show it to me. Right? And verse 10 shows us exactly how a disciple's love for Jesus manifests itself. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. Right? Jesus' disciples, they abide, they remain in him by obeying his commands. Right? By walking his command, by knowing obedience is the condition of continuously remaining in Jesus. Right? We walk with Jesus, we know Jesus, we love Jesus, and we obey his commands and we keep walking with him and we walk in his love. In verse 9, Jesus uses his own obedience to the Father to show the type of love that we are to have for him. Right? Our, our love for Jesus is the source of our o- obedience to him, as our obedience is the demonstration of the reality of that love that we have for who he is and what he has done. Right? If I just told my wife that I loved her, but I totally ignored her, except maybe like on anniversaries and her birthday, would I really be loving her? She knows this, but there's been an anniversary card on my desk for I think three anniversaries now. I mean to give that to her, just don't, because I try to love her every day, right? I, I try to 
love her because I want to know her. I want to understand her. I want to know what, what makes her feel loved. And I want to do whatever that is more and more and more. And I have to do that by knowing her. If you remember last week, we talked about this. Jesus reveals himself to us. And when he reveals himself to us, we love him. And when we love him, we obey him. And as we obey him, we learn more about him, which leads us to love him more, which leads us to obey more. And we just keep going in this lovely circle. It's not even a crazy circle. He reveals more of him to us. We love him more for who he is. We obey him more. We, we, he reveals more of himself to us. We love him. It just goes in a circle. We, he reveals. We love. We obey. He reveals. We love we obey, he reveals, and it just keeps going and going and going. When we love somebody, we find joy in serving them. Right? We find joy in serving them. In the following verses, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus insists, Jesus is telling us that his own obedience to the Father is where his joy is grounded. Right? And he promises for those of you who obey him, you will share that same joy. And there's times when we look and we struggle and we're sure, I don't know, God. Like, this is scary. I don't know if I can do that. But he says, you will have this same joy. I want you to imagine the joy that I had in my life. One of the things that creates a lot of anxiety in me is trying to find the right gifts for people. And trying to find the right gift for my girlfriend slash wife when we were dating was I was losing sleep over that I don't know I think we are married maybe in our first or second year of marriage and I realized she would rather have tickets to a baseball game than jewelry hallelujah (laughs) right like I can do that man whenever I shouldn't say this in LA but whenever Dodgers come to town man it's birthday anniversary everything wrapped up in baseball game tickets Giants tickets she wanted to make sure that was clear, right? <laughs> right? But there's that joy in realizing that. But there's an important note in verse 14. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And we have to know that when Jesus is saying that, it's not the obedience that makes us his friend. Right? That obedience is a characteristic of being his friend. He's not saying this is what you have to do. Right? If you want to be my friend, here's your list of things to do. He's not like a, that would be sexist, I'm not going to say that. Right? He's not giving you a list of things to do like a high school person would do. Right? But he's saying by your love and by your obedience, that's a characteristic of somebody who loves me. Right? That is a characteristic of somebody who loves me when they're obeying my commands. Those who abide in Jesus, those who love Jesus, those who actions of obedience result out of love those are people that are abiding in jesus and that's the first principle he says you need to abide in me and the second principle he talks is that we we should be identified by our love for others that is something that should identify us this is the second time during this farewell discourse that jesus said hey my followers are going to be identified people will know who you are by your love for one another There's only one way that God's love will be seen in in us. And that is if God's love is the source for our love for one another's. The command to love as Christ loved is an action that is 
first defined, the first time he said this, it's defined by foot washing. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. Right? This is what this looks like. I've given you an example to follow. And we're like, oh. And then there's an illustration. These people just walked. They had followed behind horses and mules and camels. And that's gross when you're washing those feet. But then here he takes it another step further. He talks about a sacrificial love where you give up your life. Right? We're not talking about cleaning feet. Now he talks about a sacrificial love that is a giving of life. Several years ago, I was in the Philippines with a disaster relief team. A typhoon had just wiped out an entire village. Several of the, the barangays. And I remember I was sitting there with this lady, and she had lost everything. This older lady had lost everything. And through her tears, she just looked at me and said, why would you come here? Why would you leave your family? Why would you leave your house? Why would you leave your bed? And why would you come here and sleep in the mud? And maybe help, because she was hopeless at that time, and maybe help people you don't even know. Man, that's like taking the gospel and just putting it on a tee, right? Like she's saying, tell me the gospel. And I looked at her and said, because I love you like Christ loved me. Right? I loved you like Christ loved me, and I got to share the gospel with her. And then she goes on her way, and we went back to work. And then when we were done with that area we went back to the spot we were resting and there was a guy at the house and he said hey Kendrick some truck came to pick you up today to take you to this meeting there must be another Kendrick because I don't know anybody here and he said they're going to be back later uh, and I said what's the meeting I said I don't know I didn't ask him he said he's going to come pick you up so the truck comes back and they say are you Kendrick and I say yeah and they say you need to come with us you just don't get in a car with people you don't know in a country you don't know right so I looked for the closest guy, a guy named Sean. I said, hey, you have to come with me. Right? I don't want to die by myself. So <laughs> he gets in the car. We drive to this place. There's all these people that were there. And this lady, right? I'm making this long story really short. Forgive me. But this lady comes, right? And she says, hey, this is my sister's house. And there's all these people here. She gathers up her sisters and friends. And she says, I... I want you to tell them about the love of Christ. And she said, these guys, as she's talking to her friends, I had a um, demonstration, I had a thing here, I don't know where I lost it, a fan. Um, but she tells her friends, like, these guys are the real deal. Right? They are coming out here, they're sacrificing. These are the real deal, and, and so I want you to, to learn about Christ. They love us enough to leave everything to come help us. And it's nothing compared to how much the God they serve loves us. And so we began to share the gospel with these ladies. And if you've ever been to a, a Filipino party, that's really hard to do because the video okie machine was super loud. <laughs> right? It was going to town, but we had these ladies. And uh, actually, it's right here. We had these ladies, and I remember I had this fan because it's hot. And we're like fanning as we're talking. And there was four ladies that gave their life to Christ and five that recommitted their life to Christ, and I asked them for their names so I could pray for them, right? And it was all out of this demonstration of love that gave us credibility that these are Jesus's people because of how they love each other, how they love one another. So that first principle is that we abide in Jesus, and the second one is that we be identified by our love, that people would know that we are disciples of Jesus by the way that we love each other. And then the third one is that we would depend on his grace. 
right? Our, our standing relationship with him is a matter of grace. It's not anything that we did. Jesus reminds us, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Man, this lies the, the ultimate encouragement of our mission, right? That Jesus chose us. We, we go, we get to do, not because we're worthy, not because we're equipped or we're attractive or we're skilled or we're experienced, not that in any way we're suitable or appropriate for God's mission. We go because we have been summoned and we have been sent and we have been chosen by God himself. We are chosen to go and bear fruit. And when God calls us to go do something, he's not calling us because we are trained in some special task that he can't do himself. We're not called because he's like, oh, shoot, I don't know how to share the gospel with these people. I better bring Kendrick with me. And that's not why he does it. It's out of his grace that he chose us. If you remember my calling, I've shared with many of you several times about when I was called into ministry God used my wife to remind me how dependent I am upon his grace. Right? I remember when I told her, hey, God's calling me into ministry. And I was in bed because I was hoping she was half asleep because it was a crazy idea. And I remember the Holy Spirit spoke to her. And she looked at me and she said, really? What do you know how to do but shoot guns? Nothing. That's, that's absolutely the only thing I know how to do. And every time since then that God has called me somewhere, I am reminded of her words. I know she wishes I would forget them. I know she wishes I would never tell you guys them. I know she wishes she could take them back. But every time I'm called somewhere, more times than not, I say, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. That's not me. And I'm reminded on how dependent on him I really am. Right? Because apart from him, I can do nothing. And when God calls you, and all you can think about are the reasons why you can't do something. Right? You think of all the reasons that you're deficient. Just know, you're probably being called. God is probably calling you. Remember what Paul told the church in Corinth. This was important. I brought my big print Bible out and I'm still going to have trouble. But if you remember what Paul told the church, he said this. He wrote this in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. For consider your calling, right? So these are people that are called in ministry. These are people that are doing ministry. And Paul says, remember your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Right? That is our mission. Right? Our mission is to boast in the Lord. Our, our mission is to love God. Our mission is to glorify God. 
And God says, here's what you need to do. First, you just abide in me, everything in me. I am the life giver. You need to love people. And when you think you can't, you need to remember my grace. Right? You need to depend on my grace. Right? Because God is glorified when we are doing things that we shouldn't be able to do. God is glorified when people say, what? How? Why? And we just say, God. Right? We say, because Jesus. We boast in nothing of ourselves. We boast of Jesus and we give him the glory. Dear Holy Father, we are so grateful for this word. We're so grateful for this teaching, Lord. And we would just pray as we go out into the world that we would glorify you. That that would be our heart's desire, that that would be our heart's actions. And Lord, when we are scared, when we are fearful, when we are weak, when we don't know what to do, may we just turn to you. May we just hold on to your promises. We remember your grace. May we remember the work that you did in our lives and use that as a starting point to share your glory with our community, to share your glory with our world. Lord, when we never, ever, ever boast in ourselves, but when we give all credit and glory to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And all of God's disciples said, amen.